Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So we're in this series called Comfort, where we have been talking about the comfort of God, right? And as I start thinking about this idea of comfort as we've been talking about it, I have this image in my mind of being underwater. And uh, if you've ever, like when you were a kid and you had to get your badge, you know, for your swimming badge, one of the tests that you have to accomplish is you've got to be able to swim from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool under the water, holding your breath, get all the way to the other side and so you can pass that piece, right? And, um, <clears throat> and I remember when I was doing this as a kid, you know, you get underwear, you hold your breath, and you start swimming to get to the other side, and man, halfway, your lungs are burning, and there's panic going on inside of you, there's this desperation, but it's a quiet desperation because everybody above water can't see anything or hear anything. They don't know that you're desperate, but you're desperate, and you're trying to get to the edge, you're trying to get to the other side, and finally get to the other side, you break through the water, and what happens? There's like this instant relief. Like suddenly, you just take in this deep breath of fresh air, and your lungs feel better, you feel like you've been rescued, and, um, and really this is my hope for many of you, because I know that in this season, not just the current, current season that we're in, but in the season that we've been in for the last several years, I have known people that have just been underwater, and it's... For many of us, it's like this quiet desperation because they're not really showing it. They're not talking about it very much. It's just there's this angst, there's this anxiety, there's this pressure that they're feeling, and they just don't know how they're going to overcome it. And my prayer is that somehow or another you will, you, will, you will break through the surface and you will experience the presence of God and you will experience his power, you'll experience his comfort in your life. Last week, I kind of illustrated this with talking about the riptide, the rip currents at a, at a beach. You know, you know, you understand what the rip current does. It pulls, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous current. And if you get caught in it, it can be very dangerous. You know, it pulls you out to sea. And so there's ways on how you, how you overcome a riptide in the beach. You don't swim against it. You kind of, there's a way, to, a path to get out. But they say that there's several things that can be, that can make it more problematic for you, can make it more dangerous for you if you get caught in a rip current. One of those is that as you get caught in a rip current, most people, like myself, would probably do this. We would panic. Like, oh no, I can't get to the beach. I feel like I'm being sucked out into the ocean and I begin to panic on the inside and start getting nervous because I'm out of control. Like I can't control, the waves are so much stronger than me, I can't seem to control it. And that's kind of how life is sometimes, right? Especially when you're going through struggle, it feels like you're just out of control. Like somehow or another you can't seem to control that relationship you're in and the feelings that are being exchanged in that relationship, they're just, you can't control it. You can't seem to control your health situation sometimes. Sometimes you can't control, like you can't even control the economy, you know? So there's a lot of things that make you feel like you're just out of control. And that can be problematic for us when we start panicking in those situations. Another thing they say that gets a person in trouble is exhaustion because instinctively we want to swim against the current. Like the current's pulling us out and what we want to do is we want to swim 
Because we see that it's like the shortest way to the shore, right? It's to swim against the current. And so we start swimming and we swim. And what happens is you get exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you start getting sucked out into the ocean. You can't do anything about it. It's because we're trying to do something that's just impossible for us to do. The waves are just too strong. And so we reach this point of exhaustion and it becomes very dangerous. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians, what he's doing, he's writing to the church in the city of Corinth, and he's trying to prepare them for the currents of life, whether they're, and in their case, they're, they're having trouble. They're having severe trouble. But he's also not just preparing for the trouble that they're experiencing, but he's trying to prepare them for the trouble that they will experience. How many of you know that there's trouble? Right? Okay. We're surrounded by trouble. There's all kinds of currents right now of trouble. I was reading recent, just this past week about um, some, you know, just these currents that we are experiencing these days of mental health issues, mental and emotional health issues. And so I was reading, like the Kaiser Foundation says that one out of two adults, one out of two adults are experiencing some type of mental or emotional health issue. That's staggering. That means if it's not you, it's probably the person sitting next to you. Don't look at them. (laughs) The CDC released a report about a year ago that about one out of four young adults, out of one out of four young adults in this season have contemplated taking their own life. They also say that, that depression, anxiety, anger, domestic violence, divorce, these are all on the rise. And some of you are very familiar with that, right? You know, you have friends, you know, you have colleagues, that that's what's going on in their life. So there's all this current, there's all this stuff. So Paul wants to come alongside this church in Corinth and he wants to encourage them and he wants to speak to them about God's comfort. And he wants to do that for us as well in our day and age. He's speaking to us that when we're getting sucked into these currents that seem to be pulling us away, we're exhausted, we're panicking a little bit. He wants us to begin to focus on the fact that God is there, he's present, he hasn't abandoned us, he's there. And so he gives us a few truths to help us over, to not be so overwhelmed by the troubles of life. So one thing I did not really talk about last week, I mean, I was talking about several things, one thing I didn't talk about was that we need to have confidence in God's comfort. Um, confidence in God's comfort. Now, what I'm getting at is that sometimes we, we lack confidence, right? We're going through trouble, we're going through challenges, and we lack confidence that God is actually going to do anything about it. So last week, I talked about some bad theology that we get, right? When we think of the father image in our head, we have this bad theology where we say, well, he doesn't really care. Like, God doesn't, I'm in this, I'm in this trouble, I'm getting sucked out into the ocean, and he's over there on the beach just enjoying himself, he doesn't care about me at all. Or the other second bad theology that we have is that he cares, but he's powerless to do anything about it. And so really, what I believe Paul is trying to tell us here is that we need to have confidence in his comfort. Let me illustrate it this way. I had a friend in Bible school that suffered with asthma. I knew he suffered with asthma. But he would always, you know, we'd be walking out of the, out of, out of the dorms, walking out of the hallway, you know, and we're on our way, and every once in a while he would forget his little inhaler, and he would say, he would say these words, oh, I better go get my inhaler so I won't need it. I need to go get my inhaler so that I won't need it. And I'm like, 
That doesn't make any sense, right? And I just would giggle and laugh about it, you know, like no, no big deal. But one day I asked him about it, and he said, well, here's how it works for me. He says, if I have my inhaler with me, like if I know it's in my pocket, usually I don't need it. Like I don't have an attack. I don't have an asthma attack. I just, I'm fine, you know, because I'm confident that I have, if it does come, I'm confident that I have my inhaler in my pocket. But when I forget my inhaler, then I'm conscientious of it all the time. I'm thinking about it. And it oftentimes leads to more anxiety and pressure. And before long, I'm needing my inhaler. So I guess the question I want to ask you is, what's in your pocket? Do you have confidence in God's comfort in your pocket? Or are you feeling anxious in your trouble and you're not able to get out of it? There's a word um, that I think will help us um, with this. The Apostle Paul, we're going to go back to the passage that we did last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's talking. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all trouble. So we talked about several words here. We talked about the God of all comfort, right? Um, and that word comfort is kind of two words put together. It's, um, it's soothing and it's strengthening, that's the idea of comfort. That when God comes, you feel better. Like when you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, when you're going through trouble, you feel better, but you also feel stronger. And it's a word. It's interesting because this word comfort, it's a part of, the, it's part of the, a name for the Holy Spirit. Like he is the comforter, right? And so when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, many of you know this, you've experienced this, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, especially if you're going through, through struggle or trouble, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you feel the soothing of the Holy Spirit, right? The comfort of the Holy Spirit, but you also begin to feel the strength of the Holy Spirit. Like you have a, a mindset that I can overcome this, I feel strong enough, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit, so we talked about comfort, but we also talked about the word trouble, the word trouble here, like he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. And this word trouble is kind of a generic word that Paul uses, but in this particular context, it has a lot more weight, a lot more power. It's not just any kind of trouble. It's not like you just got stuck in a line at Walmart and nah, this is really a lot of trouble. <laughs> it's more than that, right? It's a trouble that is, that in the context that we read in chapter one, it's this idea of pressure. And so some of you know what I'm talking about. Like even right now as you're sitting here, you're experiencing pressure in your life. Like you're going through something. You haven't told anybody. You're not telling anybody, but you're feeling the pressure. And it's beginning to crush you a little bit. And so God is a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles and all of the pressure that we feel in life. One little word we didn't talk about last week, let's go back to that, um, is, is the word all. Like he says, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, like the God of all comfort, he doesn't have to say that. Paul doesn't have to basically say that God is a, a God of comfort. He doesn't have to say God of all comfort. He can just say God of comfort, right? He uses the same word with all of our troubles. So what is Paul doing here? See, Paul is trying to get very specific for us. He's trying to speak to us very directly about something. That God has all this comfort, all this comfort for us, for all of our troubles. The idea is, the idea is that, is that he has comfort enough for all of your troubles. It's not like, it's not like okay, 
I'm going to comfort you, but if you made the mistake and if it's your problem, the reason you're in trouble is because you didn't pay your bills, well, I'm not going to comfort you there because it's your fault. No. He has all comfort for all troubles. We could say it this way. God gives you all the comfort you need for all the troubles you face. God gives you all the comfort you need for all the troubles you face. God gives you, I'm going to say it again, because I don't know that you believe this, honestly. Like I say this, and this is really Paul saying this, but we hear this and we're like, yeah, but, Rich, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know, she, she cheated on me. She left me. You, you don't realize I'm, I'm going to die with cancer. You don't get it, Rich. There's, I, don't, I don't know if I can believe this, but what Paul is telling you, God gives you all the comfort you need for all the troubles you face. Now, the emphasis here is on comfort, okay? God's comfort. Because I understand that when I say this, it's easy for you to interpret it like I'm patronizing you. Like somehow I'm telling you that your, your trouble is no big deal. I mean, God is powerful. Your trouble is no big deal. Just don't worry about it. Don't think about it, right? That's not what we're saying. Paul is not saying that. Paul is recognizing that trouble is real. The challenges you face are real, but we have a God of all comfort. We have a God that is powerful and able. That's the emphasis of this passage, is the comfort of God. In fact, I think there's people in this room that you identify with that. You understand it. Like, <clears throat> like you thought you would never be able to go through what you've gone through before you went through it. Think about it. Like you would look at other people and you would say, I don't know how they're, I don't know how they're surviving. I mean, if, if it was my child that had that condition, I don't know how I would make it. Right? If it was my spouse who betrayed me, I don't think I would survive that. If it was my health condition that I, that I had that health condition in my life, I don't think I would survive. I don't know how, I, how that person can be so, so joyful, so happy. It doesn't make any sense to me. But then you went through it. You went all the way through it and you realize, wow, God, yes, you're here. You're present. You are the God of all comfort for all the troubles that I face. And there's some of you in this room that you need to hear that. There's others, you may not believe it, but there's those of you who know, you've experienced it, you've, you've, you've felt the peace that, that surpasses understanding. I mean, you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and now you have this power. You have this, you, you, like you fear no evil, because you know that he's a God of all comfort. You have that in your pocket. It's like that inhaler. You have that in your pocket. You know he's a God. You're not saying you want it. You're not saying you want trouble in your life, but you are confident that if trouble comes, there is a God of all comfort who helps us in all of our troubles, right? Now, Paul's not just writing about this theoretically. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody tried to, when you have a problem, you're talking about your, your problems and your issues, your struggles, that they just want to talk to you theoretically about comfort and and, and peace. It's, it's, it's frustrating, right? For Paul, it's very practical. It's very personal. Like he's experiencing this. In chapter one, he talks about the God of all comfort for all of our troubles. And then in chapter 11, he kind of lists all of the troubles in his life. Not all of them. It might have just been something he came up with in the moment when he listed, listed it, but I'm going to read it to you. He says this. 
First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23, says, I have been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jew, Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, like I was whipped 39 times, five different times. Three times I, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day, a day, and day adrift at sea. Like that, just that piece right there would terrify my wife, being a whole day adrift at sea. Like that would be the worst trouble that she could ever, ever face in her life is being with the sharks at sea. Right? Amen. <clears throat> I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as, the, as, well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the city, dangers in the desert, dangers on, on the seas, pretty much whatever the geography is, that's where he's been, or the terrain, he's been, he's been there. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers that are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I mean, like, Paul's been through it. Like, when I read Paul's, you know, list here, I'm like, yeah, I'm such a baby. I'm a wimp. Like, I, I, I shouldn't ever complain ever again, Right? Like, he's, been, he's experienced trouble. And then he goes on, he says, and besides all this, besides all the physical things I've gone through, I have the daily burden. That word burden can actually be translated pressure, the word that we've been using here. I have the daily pressure of my concerns for all the churches. These are his troubles. He lists all of his troubles. And then in chapter 12, he gives one more trouble. Doesn't really name it. He just kind of identifies it, what it's like. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. Like he has this, this nagging thing that's just always there. It doesn't go away. It's just always, always there. How many of you have a, don't raise your hand, okay? But how many of you have a thorn in the flesh? Like I'm tempted, you, you might raise your hand and you might look at the person next to you. Maybe your husband, I don't know. But you know, you're saying that's not what Paul's talking about. There's this thing about Paul that's just nagging him all the time. He has this thorn in the flesh, and he says in verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Like he's pleading with God. Please, God, do something about this. Take it away from me. And this is how God responds. Each time God said, each time he said, My grace is what? Sufficient for you. That word sufficient is such a powerful word. It's the word of enough, more than enough. His grace, his comfort is sufficient for you. He goes, <clears throat> My power works best in weakness. So now Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. It sounds really weird to say that, right? I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Um, except that, like around here, we have a value of authentic vulnerability. Like it doesn't make any sense to go around and say, yeah, I've got the victory. But inside you're just falling apart. I mean, we want you to have that victory. We want you to have a positive outlook. But, but we value you saying, man, I'm struggling right now. Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me in this journey because I'm really struggling right now? And this is essentially what Paul is saying is I boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. 
That's why in verse 10 he says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Okay, I, I don't know if I agree with Paul on this one. I don't want to take pleasure in my weaknesses, but he does, evidently. And in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when, and here's the point, for when I am weak, when I'm falling short, when I don't have the strength to overcome the waves that are coming against me, when I am weak, then I am strong. You know this, I know this, that when the pressure's on, that's often the opportunity for God to manifest his power in our lives. And we don't like it. We'd rather live a pressure-free life. But if you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, you're going to go through pressure, right? And for some of you, this is a word you need, you need to hear today, right? His grace is sufficient for you. When it comes to God's comfort and grace, it does not run out. Now, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what situation you find yourself in right now. And you might be at a place where you say, I don't know. This, I'm not going to survive this. I'm not going to survive this relational breakup. I'm not going to survive this, this, uh, this challenge I'm having with my kids. I'm not going to survive this. <clears throat> but there is more than enough. However much you need is how much you'll receive, right, if you carry that in your pocket. Um, I'm going to read this blog that I, that I read this week by a lady by the name of Nancy Kennedy. She's testifying this, and the reason I'm reading this is because I think oftentimes what happens to us is that we, I, we're talking about Paul talking, right? And we say, well, Paul says my grace is sufficient, and Paul says God has all the comfort you need for all the troubles, but that's Paul. Like, Paul was, like, superhuman. Paul was special. And the whole idea of 2 Corinthians is Paul is trying to talk about his own troubles so that we can identify with it and understand that there is hope through our struggles and our troubles, Right? And so here's a contemporary person talking about basically what Paul talks about. He says, this is Nancy Kennedy. She says, I'm sitting in yet another hospital waiting room. Ever since my husband Barry first underwent open heart and quadruple bypass surgery 15 months ago, I've been in this waiting room, or one just like it, more times than I can count on one hand, waiting for him to come out of the operating room. In little, more, in little more than a year's time, my vocabulary has increased to include words and phrases such as aneurysm, atrial fib, and EP study with ablation. They all mean I have to put, my, put on a cheery face, kiss Barry goodbye, and promise I won't worry about him or forget to eat lunch and lock the garage door at night while he's in the hospital again. With all Barry's surgeries and procedures, we've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. What, do you get what kind of year she had? Very bad year, right? One of the worst in our 32 years together. Yet, ironically, it's also turned out to be the best. I learned just how deeply Barry loves me. As he was all prepped and waiting to go into surgery to, to repair his aortic aneurysm, Barry looked at my friend Tara, who was waiting with us, and said, make sure Nancy takes care of herself. Promise me or else I'll worry. He wasn't worried about being sliced open again. He, wasn't wor he was worried about me. I still, can't I still can't get it out of my mind that Barry would be more concerned about my well-being than about his own. I fell in love with him all over again. I love him because he first loved me. Sounds biblically familiar, doesn't it? I came to faith in Christ three years after Barry and I married, and for almost 30 years, I prayed about my husband's relationship with the Lord. For so for 30 years, Barry has not been following Jesus. 
Then the day of Barry's open heart surgery, he told me he, if he died, I'd see him again because he knew Jesus was his savior. So in that crisis moment, he gave his life to Christ. He prayed with me. He prayed with a friend. He prayed with a surgeon. Barry hasn't stopped praying. He prays with me every day. What I'd, ask, what I'd ask God for all these years to heal the spiritual rift in my marriage, to bring my husband and me close, God had, God had given. He'd perform heart surgery on both of us, ripping us apart and knitting us back together. And I, remembered the Apostle, and, and I remember the Apostle Paul's words that God is able to do measurably more than all we can ask or imagine. God's been good. He's been faithful and terribly, terribly kind Barry and I talk often about this, about this past year, how it's been awful and often, often and, and awfully good. How it's been awful and awfully good. We wouldn't wish this kind of year on anyone and wouldn't want to go through it again, but we're glad it happened. This is the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians. We thank God for the good days and the bad because in all our days, God's held us both securely in his grip We've known God's incredible kindness to us. Our hearts are in his hands. We've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year, and I praise God for it. And for many of you, the details are different, the circumstances are not the same, but it's your story. You've been through the fire, you've been through the difficult times, but you've experienced the comfort of God. And so first we need to we need to have confidence in God's comfort. Second thing is we need to understand that we're not alone. We're not alone, right? I mean, others have gone through this. This is really the point of what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. When he tells his problems, he's letting them know that, hey, you're not alone in your trouble. In fact, the whole idea of giving a testimony, like when we saw that testimony of that young man that had cancer on Easter Sunday, that testimony, what happens when you hear somebody else going through the trouble that they're going through, it puts your troubles in perspective. Suddenly you start feeling the comfort of God. It's soothing to you. It's strengthening to you because you're hearing it and you're realizing that you're not alone. The lie of the enemy, the lie of the enemy when you're going through trouble is that you're all by yourself. You're the only one going through this. And that's a lie. I love how the message paraphrases Psalm 34. It says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. He has all the comfort you need for all the troubles that you're going to face in this life. Amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. <laughs> If you're in Cedar Rapids, will you stand with me as well? I want to pray for us here in a second. But before I do that, I want to give an opportunity. I know we're in a room this size. You know there's always somebody or maybe a few of you that have walked in here. You've heard me talk about the God of comfort. But really, you would say, I don't really know that God. I have, don't have a relationship with him. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you have surrendered your life. Maybe you're here. And being in a church context is a familiar thing for you because maybe years and years ago you were in church and you gave your life to Christ, but you've kind of walked away from it. And at this moment right now, you're really not living for Jesus. You're kind of doing your own thing. But you're here because you know that God has an, an answer for you. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, or if you're here and a long time ago you gave your life to Christ, but you've kind of walked away from it, I just want to challenge you 
Today's the day of salvation. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth, if we confess with our, if we believe in our house, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And so that's an opportunity for you today. Today's the day where you can walk out of these doors set free from the uncertainty of whether you're going to be with Christ or not. You can walk out of these doors that way today. And so if that's you, I want to pray for you. I want you to pray with me. And if, you've, uh, if you make that decision today, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to simply let us know. You can take that connection card in front of you, write on that. You know, put your name and say, today I gave my life to Jesus. Or you can also text uh, Life Church to 97,000. And in that, um, in that text message, you can, in that exchange there, you can let us know that today you gave your life to Jesus. The reason why we want to know is because we want to walk with you on this. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. Today, Jesus, we surrender our hearts to you completely. We surrender our lives to you. In fact, let's all say that together. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. God, take my life. Use me. Change my heart, Father God. Heal me from my brokenness. Father, forgive my sins. Jesus, I give my life completely over to you. And Father, for my friends right now, whether it's here in Coralville or there in Cedar Rapids that are, that are just going through trouble, and maybe they're having a hard time believing that, you are, that you're in control, that you, that, you, um, that you know what's happening with them, that maybe they feel like, like you've abandoned them, Father. God, will you reveal yourself to them as the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Father, will you reveal that to us today? May we walk out of here with an assurance that you have all the comfort I need for all the troubles I might face. May we put that in our pocket today, this confidence in your comfort. In Jesus' name.